Podcast where a bunch of nerds pretend to physically fight over minor pop culture minutia. I'm Jeremy here with Sam. How you doing, Sam? Hey. And today we're going to have another one of our classic newsroom podcasts. <laughs> I mean, we've had one already, and it just feels That's right. like we've been doing it forever. <laughs> well, that first one was the classic. Um, we don't have too many more episodes to go. We pretty I much know. just got this one, and then one more. That's and then right. we're gonna, we got to move on to another show. So we're going to be doing what I believe is the eighth episode of the season. Because I think they cut one. Uh, Election Night Part One, I think is the name is the name of the episode. And it's crazy because there's only one left, and I assume it's going to be called Election Night Part Two. Uh, well, we assume, but you never know with Aaron Sorkin. Well, that is true. So. I do want to say that we're also now available on the Stitcher app, which is uh, that useful streaming application on people's you know, mobile phones or whatnot that let you stream things without having to download them. I, I have no idea what that is. Oh, well, you know. I'm, I'm not even joking. Like, it's not a joke. I really don't know what that is. Okay, well, it's a very popular tool for listening to podcasts. I mean, you know, we also have our video one, which is right now exclusive to YouTube. But we'll see. Maybe I'll point something over later on. But not right now. But for now, the audio one will be available. Anyway, let's talk about this last Sunday's episode. We skipped a week because I guess of Labor Day or some sort of nonsense. That's right. That's right. So we were all worried, you know, what what happened to Jerry Dantana? You know, what news is going to happen between that week and this week? Are, did they get back the trust of the public? Now, I mean, you probably remember at the end of the last episode, Leona, in her kind of, you know, high and drunken rage, says, Get it back! You know, yes. referring to the trust of the public. Yes. It so, was a moment. It, that was one of the rare times when, like, the show works the way that Aaron Sorkin wants it to work. Uh huh. Meaning that kind of like. I mean, I know, I know you didn't like that scene so much, but I thought it was, I thought it was a really great scene. Well, I didn't really hate the ending per se. I just because of the tonal dissonance of it, I just found it not as affecting. But that being said, let's just do a very quick summary of what happened. So, obviously, this is all taking place on election night. I don't know if you remember. It happened about a year or so ago. Um, and everyone went out to vote. It was record mediocre numbers. And uh, yeah, from what I remember, the, the numbers of voters was decent. Yeah, no, exactly. It's respectable. It wasn't like the kind of crazy things that people were expecting from the Obama-McCain time. It really, coming into it, most people that really knew what they were talking about knew that Obama was going to win. But, whatever. I think that Romney had his certain ideas, like, this is the how I can win, and obviously that's what they were sticking to. But obviously they were wrong, and all of the scenarios that would have let Romney win didn't happen, but they're, you know, obviously, you know, you're not going to drop out before at least voting starts to come in. Yeah, well, I mean, what I remember from it is that, I mean, in particular... Nate Silver made all these predictions, 
and um, you know, and people had various opinions about like whether Nate Silver was was such a great prognosticator, um, and Fox News in particular, I think, like really went with some very different predictions, and and Nate Silver basically was right about everything. Um, well, yeah, there was and, a conspiracy uh, theory around that time that said that uh, Karl Rove was expecting some sort of difference in Iowa, which didn't turn out to be the case. And some people say that it was because their call Rove had some kind of connection to the voting machines and that they had managed to put in a back door when they sold the stuff before. But then <sighs> online hackers closed the back door so they weren't able to mess around with the vote. Wait, so the conspiracy theory is that there was like a counter conspiracy that stopped the first conspiracy from happening? Yeah, well, that counter conspiracy claimed they did it. And there is a connection between uh, Carl Rove and the voting machines. But that being said, it doesn't mean that anything happened right. one way or the other. Because it's very easy to say, I stopped the hacking that was going to happen. But how do you prove it? Because it didn't happen. You don't see any bears around, do you? I mean, tigers. <laughs> Damn it. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I messed up my own reference. Um, <laughs> very anyway, true. Let's, let's move on. All right, so what happens? Obviously, they're all worried. So even with everything that's happening, there's all sorts of important things to consider. But we know that they're probably going to have a decent election night. I mean, what could possibly happen? I mean, we already know what's going to happen. So how right. could, I mean, like, all they really have to do is, is cover the election. And it wasn't, it wasn't, there was, you know, it wasn't like the, the most dramatic election particularly it was a, a fairly standard election in which you know the results were more or less predicted beforehand right so so it's not like it's you know it didn't seem like there would be any particular opportunity for them to win back the trust of the public and etc um, so the quick bullet points are right. as the, you know leona the owner is refusing to accept the resignations we'll get into that yeah it was Don it was kind being, of weird that well, hold on. Let's just, just, right. let's okay. just say what the points are. Don is being sued by Jerry and Tantana. And Don is being sued personally. personally. It, separate from his suit against uh, ACM. Uh, Elliot, Taylor, Sloan, and Will are the main people on the board. They're the, you know, the news night types that are going to be running everything. And Jim makes some kind of stupid mistake. Sloan is worried about some book she didn't sign. Uh, Mac is, you know, what is it? What's the word to say? Like she's. Aaron Sorkin hates the internet. That's all you need to know. Well, there is a little bit of that too, but she's also disintegrating from within, and you know she goes crazy, and then eventually Will says you're fired. So, the other thing, of course, is that this idea about General Petraeus comes out. That it's a story that, of course, it did happen. And it didn't. It wasn't I don't remember public. when that story came out, though. I don't remember it being exactly the same time as the election. It was after the election. There was actually some. I know you're gonna you're not gonna like this, but there were some conspiracy theories about the timing of the Petraeus affair that oh, was intentionally delayed so that Obama would win. Because if it came out before that, I, I don't know. I mean, I'm sure Obama still would have won. So. 
I don't think that really would have made a difference. Well, Petraeus wasn't the one running, so I don't think it would have made much of a difference. I think it did screw up his chances to run ever, but that's sort of a different thing. And, you know, obviously the late-night comedy shows had plenty of material for at least three weeks, and then people forgot about it. But... Yeah, it's funny, because that story, like, thinking back on it, it doesn't seem like it was that big a deal. Well, he resigned. It was sort of, that was the end of it. Yeah. You know, it, there wasn't, it wasn't like, in, you know, there wasn't anything else going on other than a whole bunch of nonsense, and then that was it. The nonsense was done. But there's, there's so much to talk about in this episode before we get to the Petraeus story. All right, well, so let's start up. Where would you like to start? Okay, well, I think we should start by talking about the whole resignation thing. Right. Because it was really, like, a weird scenario. I can't remember ever seeing any plot of any, like, TV show or movie or anything like this where the, the protagonists want to resign because, you know, basically they're, like, falling on their swords. It's, it's like, a, you know, a, um, this is, like, the honorable thing to do is, is for them to resign you know, in order to remove themselves from uh, from the, the situation because they, they disgraced the, the network, and then the network can sort of move forward without them. So they all try to resign. And then Leona, who owns the network, tells them they're not allowed to resign. They can't, which I don't quite understand how that works because I'm pretty sure that, like, any employee can quit any job any time, um, and, and they can't be told by their bosses, no, you're not allowed to quit. I don't, I don't really understand like the mechanics of that, but basically, um, Charlie and Will and Mac all want to resign. Uh, anybody else wants to resign? Uh, well, everyone does. Jim wants all, to resign. Everybody that we know has a, like that has like a few lines that has character arcs. I mean, yeah, the background characters have characters names but everyone whose character arcs they all said they were going to resign jim right but the the real emphasis the real emphasis was on was on will and mac and charlie yes well they're because they're in the head of everything right so they want to resign but they're not allowed to I, i really don't understand like why can't they just quit well it's it's weird because it's sort of like that heroic sacrifice idea but the weird thing about it is, like you said, because, you know, they could just quit. Well, except, I don't, I don't know, there's some kind of weird contract thing where they have to say, well, all right, I accept that you quit. Because, I mean, most places have a contract that's, you know, the, I forget the name of it, but it's the thing where you can leave whenever you want, but you can also be fired whenever you want. And that's sort of the way it's done. It's rare that, I mean, yeah, sure, there's, like, I guess you could call them, um, like, you mean Are you talking about at-will hiring? Yeah, that's right. Most hiring is like that, and I would assume most of this is like that, too. Although, you know what, maybe, I guess, I actually, I could argue that actually, well, Will well, is Will, not. Will did sign this contract, right. which it's possible that he can't get out of the contract um, without, but, I mean, the way these things always work is that, like, the the penalty is just money. You know, like you can't get out of the contract without paying a, a, a stiff fine, which we know that Will is rich and, you know, he could do that if he wanted to. He could just pay the fine. Um, so I, I still, I, I just don't get it. Like, 
like what's stopping them from quitting? I, I mean, I understand Mac maybe. Mac might might not have the best finances. She is a woman after all. Um, <laughs> and I say that. <laughs> wow. I say that um, ironically. <laughs> oh, I, I, I don't actually think that women are bad with money. I think that Sorkin is a huge sexist and, you know, it just, it just, it would just make sense. Just, and I think they actually referenced on the show that Mac is like not in the best financial situation, although she has enough money to buy lots of expensive shoes. Apparently. Well, it's interesting. Well, considering the, the lampshading idea, there was a lampshading when I forget if it might've been Reese, but I forget someone saying something like, or maybe it was Wilson. Like, I can't believe the woman who has been trying to get us fired is refusing to accept her resignations. And it's like, that's a good point. It feels like this is the perfect opportunity to get rid of the people you don't yeah. want. But yeah. suddenly it's it, like, oh, I'm proud of you. But why did you try to fire them? That was, that was a weird, I mean, you could almost call it like a deus ex machina. Like, you know... It would. It just makes sense for Leona to say, "Yeah, okay, I'll fire them." Like she wanted to fire them, but it's. I guess the only way to explain it is that, like, you know, she she doesn't respond to intimidation. So once somebody from the outside tries to make her do something, then she, you know, she's just sort of like, you know, oppositional, and she just refuses to do whatever. You know, she refuses to be manipulated. So. If somebody like she wants to fire them, fine. But if somebody else wants her to fire them, no, she's not going to fire them for somebody else. She's See, gonna you fire know what? That does make sense. But what? But they, they never what said did that. she say? She says <laughs> right. no because it's not honorable. Like, what? Yeah. What do you mean it's not honorable? That's that's like a, such a stupid excuse. The truth is, the explanation you said is actually something I thought of. But the truth, but the truth is, even though that's actually consistent with her character, there is no evidence that that's actually the reason. And right. that's that's one of those classic Sorkin <laughs> moments that some episodes have more than others. This had plenty of those. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, man, that was just right. uh, that, actually that didn't make any sense. I, I I do want to say something about the episode in general, which yeah. is that I think this was actually a good episode. I think like in the sense of like like right. true like you know instead of instead of enjoying its badness like I normally do, um, I think this was actually a good episode on the whole. I think, and, that and I some... enjoyed it as yeah. as actually as like good television. Oh, for the yeah, most I, part, I think you're right. Especially you know like the the later you get in the episode, I feel like the better it gets. Well, um, there were some funny lines even at the beginning. Yeah, and I do think you're right that. Once you sort of got away from the weird resignation nonsense and started getting into like you know just classic you know news intrigue stuff that wasn't that actually had some sort of logic i've I've seen people talking about the show saying part of the reason that, that season two isn't as much fun is that the show is at its best when we see the whole news team working together you know on some project or or some you know to cover some some piece of news or whatever you know and that's what this episode was it was like everybody's getting together to cover the election and they're all working you know they're all doing different things but they're all you know it's all coming together it's all for mm -hmm. one purpose to, to mm -hmm. do the news you know instead of having like jim be off in new hampshire and 
you know, Maggie's in Africa and, you know, just like people being scattered, scattered all over the place and having, you know, no real connection between them, what's going on with them. So I think that's, that's really when the show is strong. Um, you know, at the same time, there were some ridiculous things that happened in this episode that I definitely enjoyed. Um, <laughs> well, although they were, they were probably subtler. Many of them were subtler than, uh, than the, the badness that would come again. Um, Charlie was not subtle. Charlie, Charlie is Charlie. Hold on a second. Right, well, okay, so, like, for example, there's that interesting, there are a few running gags that I actually think are kind of amusing. For yeah. Even with all the stupidity and sexism with the, you know, Mackenzie-Oxford-Cambridge mix-up, there were actually some funny lines. You, there oh, was, was yeah, like, so oh, I, they teach you that in in Oxford. <laughs> I laughed at that. There were li- there were lines that I laughed, you know, unironically out loud at the show. And listen, I'm not going to be mad at the show for that. I I want to enjoy it. either. Let me enjoy it because it's stupidly ridiculous, or because it's making me have a good time. Right. Either way, that's, I'm okay with that's it. That's the genius of this show is that like you can enjoy it both ways. You know, depend like from moment to moment. You know, there's some like enjoyable parts that are actually good TV, and there's enjoyable stuff which is ridiculous. And there's very few TV shows that can give you that. <laughs> right. So I mean, obviously the whole it was obvious why the Cambridge Oxford thing was coming out. You know, other than yes, the little dig that Sorghum was able to get. Wikipedia is inaccurate. Wait. Um. You mean the fact that Sorkin hates the internet, or the fact that women obsess over stupid things? Oh, well, both of those are there, but well, the only, I mean, part of that, the sexism thing is just sort of part of how he writes characters. The internet thing, I think, is his little dig. The Wikipedia thing. But, that it, it, said, it almost seemed, like, personal. Like, Sorkin was mad about something that was on, like, the Aaron Sorkin Wikipedia page that he wasn't allowed to change because Wikipedia has a policy that, like, they don't accept, you know, um, well, the, changes the, from the from the actual source. Oh, I feel right? like this kind of change could potentially be done. The, the cha- It's that the, uh, they don't, they're trying to stay away from things like self-aggrandization, but a correction is something else. I'm pretty no, sure course. they would allow that. Of course, but, but the, it... it Really felt to me like, like Sorkin, like this actually happened to Sorkin, and he was angry about right. it. Well, probably Aaron Sorkin wrote, "Aaron Sorkin is the incredibly respected and handsome writer." And then somebody writes in, "This, that's, I think that's opinion," <laughs> and it gets str- it gets struck from Wikipedia, and it just says, "You know, Sorkin is an award-winning you're writer." Yeah. He's like, "What? Where's handsome? Where's affable? Damn it!" Where's <laughs> I have sources. The source is me. You can't get any more direct than that. That's a primary source. That's right. And that's probably he's been holding a grudge ever since then. Yeah, I think I you really want to go vandalize Aaron Sorkin's Wikipedia page right now. <laughs> Just, but you want to, I, I want to do it and like make him affable. Yes, yes. <laughs> the word affable would definitely be included. <laughs> Oh, all right. <laughs> well, I guess uh, maybe pranks should hold off for another time. <laughs> <laughs> so that's interesting. I mean, I think part of what I did think made sense with her and all other characters is the 
slowly going nuts because of the magnitude of the screw-up. And obviously it's affecting Macbeth with her whole, oh, I can't handle this one little bit of minutia that normally would have just been like, uh, whatever. But now, Except it's that like, it wouldn't have been. Like, yeah. in any I, other episode, Mac would have obsessed over it exactly the same way. She wasn't acting out of character at all. That's true, unfortunately. Um, but, I mean, I feel like slowness was out of control in this episode, though, in comparison. She was. She was. And it was, it was bad, and then it got good. Well, okay, so, like, for example, I did like how they were playing... See, I like it when they play up her problems with I was going to say like lack of lack of social skills. Yeah, like see, I like that. It's only it, when they move away from that I feel like well now it's not really her character anymore. Cuz I like sort of the plain spoken you humans and your ways. I like okay, that. Okay, we need to we need to settle something right now. Yeah. Um does Sloane realize that Neil has a huge crush on her? No. And also, yes, if Sorkin forgets that she should so she she's just oblivious to it because she has bad social skills and she just thinks that like he's but she does think that he's her lapdog anyway. Oh, sure. Well that is still true. I mean she does outrank him. But not not because he has a crush on her, just because like, you know, he, he's her lapdog. Yeah, and he's just some you know, he's the blogger and she's the one with six PhDs. Right. <laughs> you know, I mean even from that perspective, it's like, come on, Neil. Really? <laughs> so, uh, because I, it, it really doesn't reflect well on her the way that she just like takes yeah. advantage of it. Because this is not the first episode that this has happened. No, I feel I mean, like it's, in it's fairness, been several times. Neil has been kind of a jerk in other ways. You know, in those other episodes. Would you mind if I said you were ugly on the internet? Yeah, but again, that's because he has a crush on her. Right, well, I, I suppose there's a little truth to that, but you know, her going nuts with this stuff, I felt... Well, so like I was saying, like, in the beginning with the whole thing with Taylor, which I want to get into that more, too, you know, the Romney former press secretary, and I actually feel like that's one personal connection that actually made sense that they utilized. Yes. Yes, that made sense. And we actually met this person first. Yeah, she's an established (laughs) character. You know, we know that she's available. We know that she's an expert in this area. She has... Relationships already to other people. You know, yeah. she has like a history with Jim that's not entirely bad or good. It's kind of interesting. It's like complicated, which makes everything else more interesting because you can build off that. It's like, come on, I know. Obviously, I know you're capable of this, Sorkin. Just do that with more stuff as opposed to the thing that Don had, where he just called up that random guy that has never been referenced ever before and will never be referenced ever again, and it's just the random guy yeah. he knows. Yeah. Which is just pointless. It's 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 like it's the classic, you know I don't know what the name of this trope is, but it's the call for information trope. Did you did you like how Aaron Sarkin got to have his cake and eat it too? Um You're gonna have to be a little bit more specific. In the sense that like he was able to um blast this uh Republican candidate for, you know, um, condemning Aiken when he actually said exactly the same thing. And, like, Sorkin kind of hammered it and hammered it and said, like, yeah, this guy is a hypocrite. He's, you know, he has no right to condemn Aiken. He's just as bad as Aiken. Um, And then, like, still use that as a plot device so that, like, um, so that the reporters don't end up actually going with that story. 
that just gives them the leverage to go get another story, which is actually going to help them on the show. Oh, yeah. So it's like, it's like, you know, Sorkin got to report the story, even though the news team didn't report the story and is reporting a different story. Well, of course, we did get to have a little bit of, wait a minute, she's Republican. Oh, I love it with that she's doing the right thing. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I, guess, I guess they're not even yeah. trying to hide it anymore. The right thing. Yeah, that's... You're right. You you are absolutely right about that. I just... I, I, I couldn't believe that he just actually went out and said that. But... Yeah, alright. Well, anyway, but the point is, I did like how the, you know Sloan did the whole... Oh, tell me more about that girlfriend. And, and she did like a... She did a really great, like, awkward body movement and she's yeah. in a night in a good still I mean I'm saying the acting was very good and yeah. the stilted way she delivered it yeah. and did the body language and then Elliot's like stop being so desperate or like if you want to do like a Chandler from from friends like could you be any more desperate for female friends you know that was sort of like the thing and I thought that was uh, you know sort of like I I like that Chandler. they're giving that you know like Elliot got a funny line and yeah, you know yeah. I like that cuz Elliot Elliot used to be like a total non-factor on the show, Definitely. but he's he's actually kind of entertaining, and I kind of wish that they would they would bring him into the forefront a little more. Like yeah, he used yeah. to be almost in the same way that Don used to be like almost like an antagonist. I feel like Elliot used to be an antagonist. He's like the foil for Will, you know, and like Don is like the foil for Jim and and Mackenzie, um, you know, and and Sorkin's grown out of that a little bit, which is nice. Um, he's realized that like Don actually is one of the good guys, and that, Slo- uh, that Elliot is also one of the good guys. Um, it just took him a while to figure that out. Yeah, so it was, it's nice to see that. I, I like that kind of stuff. You know, and moving, you know, even with the weird, well, obviously the later stuff. I think we can both agree were kind of like enjoyable from the oh classic newsroom with her crazy <laughs> blow up. Yeah, was, like it was sort of like <laughs> it was terrible, but it was entertaining. And it made no sense. And, I mean, I, it's sort of like, the problem is, is I think it was meant to just be, you know, normal humor. Like the way she was talking about the whole, a clans member who's gay and racist and black and is also my daughter. Uh, he's bisexual. He's, <laughs> he's George Clooney's see, son. See, I didn't like that because it, it, made, look, it made Sloan look so terrible. You know, like, that's my point. I'm saying, I think it was just meant to be. I'm just over a classic, oh, look at it, ooh, that's a callback. I'm, I'm clever. But what it really right. was, was... What it really was, was oh, like... that's nuts. You know, apparently Sloane is both a bitch and incompetent. Yeah, that was just awful. Which, which was unpleasant, because I like Sloane. Yeah, And I don't well, want to see her, you know, doing horrible things like that. I mean, still, on average, she is one of the better characters. I mean, oh, for right, sure. right now, Elliot is technically and she, also... She, and she absolutely redeemed herself. She absolutely redeemed herself um, later on uh, in, in the same broadcast. Um, you know, when, when they had that back and forth where, where Taylor said, oh, you're so biased against um, you know, Republicans and, you know, you, you're constantly just pointing out how, like, the Tea Party and stuff like that. And, true. You know, Which is true. Right, and then which is true, and then Sloane comes out and says, "Oh well, you know, um, how about when he said that our, you know, Democratic president used chemical weapons against civilians?" 
And that story <laughs> yeah, wasn't I said even it. true. And that story wasn't even true. And then she was like, elephant in a room. Had to say it. <laughs> it was it was amazing. That was an yeah. amazing moment. That was that might be the highlight of the whole season. Mm, pretty good. I, I actually thought that Taylor in general is pretty great. Uh she's definitely the best new character by far. I mean, What's great it... about her is that she's basically the only mm-hmm. Republican character, you know, the only conservative Republican character who gets to actually like be intelligent yeah. and and like actually make a case for the opposing viewpoint. Which back when Sorkin was doing the West Wing, he used to do that all the time. Well, yeah, all the think time. About it. Remember, like her fist pump that couldn't be oh, seen, yeah. that you know wouldn't be seen on the camera, which yeah. meant she was just doing it for herself and maybe the other people right around her. But the point is, even though she was fired from the Romney campaign, she still wants him to win. Which again, well, remember, she was she was fired for basically like criticizing his his campaign strategy of like dumbing things down and and moving to the right and you know pandering to his base because she really likes Romney. She likes the real Romney. Exactly. So I think that I like that. It was, you know, a subtle thing, but I liked it and I also liked that you know it was, they were willing to sort of say, you know, have a uh, her attack will for valid reasons. Like wow, that's good. You know, yeah. although I kind of feel like Sorkin meant for us to say, "Oh, that's not true." Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> we don't really believe that. It was interesting. Will doesn't just attack Republicans. He's not biased. Well, there were a little bit of this both ways. Like when she was talk, quoting some kind of study about media overwhelmingly voting Democratic, and then there was some back and forth, and finally Elliot says, "We'll be back with more on that five-year-old survey." I think it was like this. twelve. Or no, I, well, yeah. the point is, it was like it was funny. But it was also kind of like a dig as well, because he had the last word. But <laughs> I, even so, I like that. I also like that there's still like a weird thing with Jim, and I really want to see those two like hook up, and then Jim feels really guilty about it, and then Taylor says, eh, whatever. <laughs> I mean, Taylor, Taylor is too good for Jim. He, I know. She's too good for everyone except, I'm going to say Sloan. but let's but listen they already built up something there so it's not out of the realm of possibility what if sloan discovers that she's really bisexual i mean that's season three right there that's right (laughs) that's That's right that's all and then it will somehow become like very public and it'll be a scandal oh because sorkin needs his women to be humiliated oh that's probably true unfortunately i could actually now i feel like that's actually going to happen now that you said it. Like, it does seem yeah. kind of obvious. Yeah. But I I did like the... Uh, it was weird how they had this sort of ongoing thing, the everyone hates Jim thread. You know, and Taylor, I remember saying, oh, I don't hate Jim. I just, you know, I just enjoy it when he's in pain. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, it's like, but I guess, you know, it's also like, I feel like, oh, you know, I pity bang him. I feel like was her sort of general philosophy. I think even Hallie hates Jim. <laughs> she totally does. But she also, like, finds him attractive. So, there you go. I mean, it's one of those sort of, like, weird, oh, you're so smarmy, but damn it. But Can't get enough of those puppy dog eyes. That's right. <laughs> Your naivete is both repellent and bewilderingly attractive. I mean, it isn't to me, but I could see how that could work for some people. 
I mean, some people find Maggie attractive in the context of this show, and that doesn't make any sense to me. I mean, she's physically attractive, but sometimes. nothing about her personality is attractive at all. I mean, sometimes she just carries herself in a very weird way. Her hair looks terrible. Her oh, personality wow. makes her. Are we gonna attractive. Are we gonna get into talking about Maggie's hair? Well, I, it's just—it's still that, hasn't that really was been actually, explained. That was that was a topic on on the episode, so maybe we should talk about it. Well, it's, it's a, well I mean, I feel like it was re- logical how she reacted. What she said was something like, "You know, oh Maggie, I love your hair," which you know. When I heard that, I thought she's lying. And then, of course, when she says to Jim, "What happened to her hair?" Or you know, I no. But like, then she she told Jim she was like, "Jim, you should ask her about her hair." Right. Which <laughs> means that hair is messed up. Uh, she was just being like the classic kind of, "Oh, oh, I love that." Polite. Which, of course, she was lying because it looks terrible. So, I feel it, like, in an objective sense, Jim should not ask Maggie about her hair. Yeah. That was an incorrect thing to say. No, but Hallie, uh, I think this wants to stir things up. <laughs> well, so I did like that. I like the sort of weird little Jim thing. Of course, the funny thing about the hates Jim is that yeah. he ended up going to that thing where Taylor said, let me tell you something. And it turns out to be the thing that leads to the thing that leads to the Patrice thing. So it is interesting how everybody hating Jim leads to the breaking of the story. Kind of inter- interesting little thing. It's sort of like how in the Star Wars prequels, and I know this is getting a little nerdy. Oh, uh, I don't know if we could talk about nerdy stuff. It's sort of like how in the prequels, Jar Jar Binks is technically responsible for the downfall of the Empire. Yes, the Emperor convinced him to do it, and he was so gullible that he would just do it. But he was him. <laughs> That's an interesting comparison, comparing Jim to Jar Jar Binks. Well, Jar Jar Binks is more annoying, you know, in an auditory way. He's he's more grating. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't... Listening, if you ever try yeah. to listen to Jar Jar Binks ever again, you'd just be like, <laughs> Which is why the best of those, like, fan edits and the like, basically just have him on screen and not saying anything. Which is actually why that... I know that silent thing wasn't amazing but it made him infinitely less annoying yes well that's that's more or less true it was still kind of annoying but well yeah i mean (laughs) anyway but but i don't want to talk too much about star wars (laughs) so uh, i guess it's it's kind of weird we were talking before we started about how there's sort of like these lost plot elements from the first season you know one of which is the problem with the the trolls like you know neil was looking for trolls online you know he was trying to get in deep which ended up being a problem right yeah well i mean the problem was that that story never went anywhere anyway like it never it never made sense from the beginning like why is neil so interested in like doing a story about internet trolls. It it only vaguely makes more sense than Neil wanting to do a story about Bigfoot. Like it's it's just not relevant. But everyone everyone was like acting like, oh, this is so important. Now that thinking back on it, maybe they were all just humoring him. <laughs> you know, it's like Neil wants to do a story. Uh what's it about? I don't know, internet trolls. Just just be nice to him. 
Just just tell him it's important. Yeah. Ugh. Pat him on the back. It was really kind of annoying from that perspective. Yeah. But then but, then it turned into this death threat against Will and Will got a bodyguard and all of that. And and yeah, they did just kind of drop that whole thing. They just forgot about it. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe I mean, I know I heard about that. Sorkin had like cut an entire episode of worth of material and reshot some things. So maybe there was something there that he just cut out entirely. I don't know. I mean, I know Patton Oswalt was supposed to be a part of the season. Right. But never ended up being a part of it. It's very kind of weird. I don't know why that happened, but it totally did. So maybe that's what happened. Uh, that's weird. I guess... I guess I'm all right with that. I mean, it wasn't a huge deal. But anyway, I feel like we, uh, we should probably move on here. You know, there, there isn't that much left, I think, to talk about in this episode. Well, we didn't, because... we didn't talk about Don and getting sued and the self-conversation with the lawyer and all that. Well, right. Well, part of this is also sort of like the build-up. A lot of this seems like, you know, it's really just the, it is really a part one episode in a lot of ways. I mean, the whole Don versus Dantana thing, it's really like even more of the Dantana nonsense. He's, right. Know. It just seems like like distraction. Like it never... It, it, with the whole thing with Don finding out that Dantana was suing him individually um, because... And it was like for... It was so frivolous. Like, you know, Dantana basically set him up, you know, asking for a reference for a job. And Don gave him a bad reference, of course. And then he's suing them for, like, using the word sociopath because it was, like, disparaging to his character. I don't know. Something, it, it, the, like, this lawsuit would get thrown out if it was in an actual court, I think. Well, I think it's fair to say. So um, it's some sort of weird settling thing, but yet somehow he's being sued personally. So he wouldn't be able no, to no. settle. No, I no. Mean, I mean the, the Don lawsuit. If the Don lawsuit actually went to trial, like it would just get thrown out for you know on because it's frivolous. It is frivolous. But, but um, yeah, apparently in in the news the newsroom universe, that's you know no lawsuit is frivolous. Um, so so yeah, and Don has this conversation with um, with our friend the lawyer uh, mm. Rebecca, I think her name is right. Um, who was particularly was weird in this episode. Like, weirder than she... Like, before she was, like, the funny lawyer, and now she's, like, the funny, sexy lawyer. Well, she seemed like she was high. She did. She did seem like she was high. Yeah, well, you know, the whole liquid sex thing. <laughs> like, are, who are we hitting on here? Because the only people in the room are Charlie... Or Will or Don. And the only possible person there that seems reasonable is Don. But even then, it's like, come on. Well, I mean, it's possible that she wasn't hitting on anyone, but she was just being flirtatious. Yeah. That's, that's what I assume. It it still, like, was weird and didn't really make sense. Well, she's supposed to be, a, like, a lawyer, you know? And I don't know. This is just a weird, unprofessional thing to see from the corporate attorney. Oh, you know what we didn't talk about? What's that? The statistician. Oh, right. Yeah, Jim's mistake. And, or Jim, well, I mean, whatever. Jim's mistake was stupid, but I, I was just highly amused 
that when we went into the secret stats room, um, when Elliot took us on a tour of the, the behind the scenes of the newsroom, and we got to see the secret stats room where all the stat geeks all do their like number crunching, and like half of them were Asian, of course, um, including the, the lead statistician who was an Asian woman. Um, and then later yeah. when they went to talk to her about his mistake and they take her out of the room, um, he decides to blindfold her so that she won't see anything. And the whole thing just felt like this weird, like kinky, you know, sexual thing that Aaron Sorkin allowed to spill out of his, you know, libido and into his TV show, um, which I thought was pretty hilarious. But well, you I, think it's some kind of fetish thing? The Asian statistician? <laughs> yeah, you know, the, the um, smart Asian woman who's blindfolded. Uh, I think that's, that's like a Sarkin fantasy. That's my interpretation. <laughs> wow. I don't think I'm going to find out. I guess it's possible. I mean, yeah, I didn't even think about the race thing until afterwards, and then I realized, hmm, how many... Well, I mean... It's interesting because the truth is there is a decent level of diversity on the show. But that being said, it's not like Sorkin hasn't succumbed to his racism at times. Um, I mean, you say there's a decent level of diversity. It's really token diversity except for Neil. I mean, Gary is like barely even a character on the show. True. And there's this there's this black woman who's even less of a character than Gary is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Exactly. So like the only the only person of color who's like a main cast member on the show is Neil. Well, you could count Sloane. Um. Yeah, I guess you could count Sloane. That's true, actually. But yeah, other than that. Especially after the bodyguards no longer on the show. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it's sort of like how I know this is going to get sort of but, nerdy but, in a different But way. it is. It is. It's, it's problematic. I mean, like. Well, okay. So I'm just going to say. On one hand, on the one hand, like everyone on the show is smart, so like true. it's a little unfair to say like, oh, the the smart woman is Asian and like you know the smart computer guy is Indian. But like it is. It is true that like. The computer guy is Indian, and the economics woman, yeah. right? The statistician, or the you know, the economics woman is you know is, is Japanese. Like, like it is. It it doesn't go out of its way to avoid stereotypes. You can put it like that. No, it certainly does not. So I think it's kind of frustrating. I think you're right in that sense. But that being said, it reminds. So I know you don't really watch Saturday Night Live. But there was a pretty funny commercial from about a year ago, closer to the election, which was said, we have a lot of questions about the election. And there, it just one Asian guy just showed up randomly and everyone and like the audience, you could tell, was like weirdly surprised because there's never been an Asian male on the show. And I think I think that's uh, I think there's definitely something like that going on here. Um, in in what sense? What I mean is, you know, it's just sort of like, why, it, why is it that only the really important people are 
white, I guess. So that when we see like a new character, it does seem sort of more like just tokenism again. What do you think? Um, I don't know. I mean, I haven't really watched too much of, it, of Sorkin stuff except for The West Wing. The West Wing was like a very white show. It did have um, that one black guy. I think the actor's name is Dulay Hill. Is that right? Yeah. He was on from the beginning. Right. Yeah, for pretty much the whole show he was on. But he was um, he was a pretty minor character. Um, you know, he was like... I forget exactly what he did, but he was some kind of like intern or something so like you know it was he was the one that always had to be educated like other people would tell him what to do or teach him life lessons or something it, it wasn't wasn't the best situation um later on on the show they got jimmy smiths to play um to play obama basically um and and so that was good although i kind of feel like sorkin had less involvement with the show in the later seasons. I remember hearing that. Well, there was someone where he left or quit or was fired and then eventually came back. Yeah. But I am not sure exactly which seasons. I never got to those. I didn't catch up to that part yet. But yeah, anyway. No, but they did, they did have Jimmy Smith's, um, you know, on the show as, as like a major character in the later seasons. Because he basically plays, you know, he basically plays Obama. He's like this, um, this young um, senator who's really charismatic, and and you know, um, Bradley Whitford decides to make him the next president. You know, when Bartlett's term is going to expire, and so like the show really takes the focus off of Bartlett and focuses it on um, Jimmy Smiths, who's I forget what the character's name is on the show, Santos or something like that. Um, you know, in his campaign. Right, well, uh, Santos Hispanicos or something. Right, is, exactly. Is that what it was? <laughs> exactly. Um, all right, well, okay. So I guess uh, when we, as we just sort of close it off here, I just think, let's just think about what our predictions are going to be for our big season finale. Because we, you know, we well, ended... Obviously... Well, just remember, how did it end? It ended with Will saying to Taylor, you know, tear me apart because he's feeling guilty that he just fired Mac, I guess, even though he's a good boyfriend. Right? Um, well, but it, that was also him saying, like, you know, rip me apart on being biased, you know, against Republicans because I'm about to take down a Democrat. Oh, uh, yeah, because of the Petraeus thing. Right. Okay, now, so... Okay, so here's, here's my predictions. Obviously, like, the Petraeus story is somehow going to be, like, this huge breaking story that's going to, like, earn the trust back and, you know, um, everyone will decide not to resign. And Will, of course, is, is not going to fire Mac because, like, we know that, like, Mac is not actually going to be fired. That's ridiculous. Um, right. That does seem to be the predictable stuff. Right. That's predictable. Um, I also think that there's going to be some kind of romantic thing between Will and Mac. Um, you know, like, like when, when Mac was in Will's office and she said, you know, say the thing that you want to say to me, um, which Will thought was like for him to fire her. Like I thought what she actually meant was like, tell me that you love me. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and oh, you I know, like it's, that's, it's going to, 
it's gonna it's gonna get to that. It's gonna like because you remember the season finale in in season one. They had they had this like romantic moment between Will and Mac. Like that's that's inevitable. It's gonna happen. Um, right, right. So so those are my those are my predictable predictions. Um, in terms of unpredictable predictions, I think that Charlie is going to kiss Jane Fonda. Oh, well, that's interesting. Well, I, I, I re- what I really want to think about is what's going to happen with our old buddy, Jared Dantanowitz. I mean, I, own... I've already forgotten Jerry Dantana. Is anything going to happen? Why was he important again? <laughs> like, so, I, I really don't care what happens to him in this season finale. I mean, it could be that it turns out he was the one behind the all Will's death threats. He was the guy. <laughs> How's that as a twist for you? That that's going to that would be like a like an M Night Shyamalan twist. I know, but we haven't. That was the cliffhanger from season one, which has not been addressed at all. I'm I'm pretty sure that Jerry Dantana is not the guy who made a death threat against Will. I think I, <laughs> I think I can safely say that that's not going to happen. All right, perhaps you're right. Perhaps you're not. Who can say? <laughs> well, all right. I guess, I guess all the predictions you said seem pretty normal. I get a feeling that there's going to be another non-inspirational, inspirational speech, like you know when Charlie Skinner gets up there and he says, "American elections are the envy of the world." Yes. Just, I mean, look at the UK. They think that they're better than us, but they're wrong. And France. <laughs> They think the same thing, but they're also wrong. Poland, though? Poland realizes this, that they're just crap. So they're having pizza parties with Hungary. <laughs> it, was just, it was like, talk about cherry picking. Yeah, you know, sure. Compared to non-democracies, you know, or people who are just trying to copy us. Like I, you know what? I thought that speech was okay. It was okay. But... It was it was a pretty good speech. You you got to give it to Charlie. When <laughs> when he's on, you know, he can make a pretty good speech. Well, it wasn't Will giving an inspirational speech? That's how you know we know it can't be that good. <laughs> so I that's oh, what, so yeah. that's my other prediction. That's, you you think Will's going to have the inspirational speech in the yeah. final episode? It's going to somehow force Obama to win using the magic of Will's oratorical skills. But what's going to happen with Sloane and that book that she didn't sign? Oh, right. <laughs> it's going to turn out. Will Neil find out who got the book? It, you know who's going to gonna turn out? It's going to turn out to be Jimmy Wales, the owner of Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> it's all going to tie together. That's and, right. And he's like, wait, just on the phone. It's just going to be a, a guy's voice. It won't be the real guy, I assume. <laughs> it's like, hello, this is Jimmy Wales. Jimmy? The the CEO of Wikipedia? That's right. You bought Sloan's book? Sure. I buy a lot of crap. <laughs> hey, do you think you could correct Max Page? <laughs> Sorry, I don't think so. And and then, you know, that's when Mac throws Neil out, out a window. Uh, or maybe it doesn't happen. I mean that Sometimes there's wishful thinking. 
I mean, you know, obviously what I want to happen is that, you know, Taylor sleeps with somebody. That's because, come on, we need some sort of romantic tension, or at least she has to make out with somebody. But who who could she make out with that would hurt Jim the most? Jeez, that is a good question. Maggie. It's wow. got to be Maggie. That's an interesting idea. That You know what? That would be a good sort of Shorkin-esque progression of her so-called craziness. Yeah, she's she was an alcoholic. She was a, a sex fiend. She cut her hair, and now she's a lesbian. Yep. Yeah, that makes sense. I can see uh, I can see Sorkin buying into that. All right. I agree. So our final prediction is the season is going to end with Will walking in on Taylor and Maggie kissing. No, not Will. Jim. Oh, Jim, Jim walking in. Jim is going to walk in on them. Yeah. <laughs> that's going to be amazing. That's <laughs> that's your cliffhanger. Yes. <laughs> wow. I, I think we just solved the newsroom. We solved the newsroom. All right, well, I guess we're going to have to wait till uh, next week to see if any of our predictions, or if all of them, were entirely right. I think I've got a pretty good feeling about that last one. <laughs> all <laughs> or, right, it's I mean, it, Yes, it could be the other one where it's, you know, her and Jim making out and Maggie walks in, but that's boring. That is boring. Ugh. Sorgan's probably going to do it. Yeah. All right. <laughs> All right, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Nerd you later. Nerd you later.